name of Jesus and to grow closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, good morning. Um, Super excited and super honored to be um, here teaching this morning um, in big church, as we like to call it, in kids' ministry. Um, And I just wanna say thank you so much for joining us um, at Church on Bayshore this morning. If this is your first time visiting with us, there's gonna be a number on the screen. Um, If you could text CONNECT to the number on the screen um, so that members from our Connect team can reach out to you um, and help you get connected in the life of our church, that would be awesome. Um, And so if this is your first time sitting under a kid's minister teaching, um, you're in for a treat this morning. If you look under your chairs, there's an activity page and some crowns waiting for you. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, But it truly is just an honor um, and a privilege um, to be here this morning um, and to get to read from God's word together. And so we're going to be in Galatians 5, chapter chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. If you want to turn there, we're going to root ourselves there, but we're going to hop around. But the verses will be on the screen um, in case you don't have your copy of the word with you this morning. Um, And so let's read together um, Galatians 5, 13 through 15. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. God, we thank you for um, this day. We thank you for your word. Um, We thank you for um, just this series in Galatians that we've been going through, Lord. We just pray that now as we dig into your word that you would speak and that you would convict our hearts and that you would encourage our hearts as we walk through this message to learn more about freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have been walking through Galatians for a long time now, which has been super fun. And we've learned a lot about the Galatian church. We've learned about Paul's message to the Galatian church. We've learned that Galatians is a little bit different than some of Paul's other letters where Paul is encouraging and admonishing the church and saying, you're doing great, you're doing great. This is a battle that we have found ourselves in that Paul is teaching in Galatians 4. The Galatians church is in danger. And we're gonna, we're gonna review a little bit of that, but we've really, the focus of Galatians 5 is being free. And we were talking a lot about the old covenant versus the new covenant. So I wanted to start this morning by going back into the Old Testament and looking at this old covenant and when it was given. And so we're gonna look at Exodus 34. Set the stage for this one. Moses has received the law and he's receiving it a second time and he's coming down from the mountain to speak to the people. And so we're gonna read Exodus 34 verses 29 through 35. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. 
Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. All right, so we've looked at this law. We've looked at when the law was given. We've looked at Moses, what happened to Moses after he met with the Lord. But what does this have to do with this ministry of the old covenant and this freedom that we're talking about today? Well, good news, Paul explains it best. So we're gonna jump to 2 Corinthians chapter three and listen to Paul's explanation of this exact passage. So we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter three, verses seven through 12, which will also be on the screen. It says, now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? We're gonna pause there because this is important as we talk about the ministry of the law and when we're talking about it from the ministry of grace that we live in, it's easy for us to just throw the ministry of the law to the side. It wasn't important, didn't have purpose, didn't need it. And this passage is teaching us that the ministry of the law had glory. We see it. Paul's teaching it. It's had such glory that Moses' face shone with glory that the Israelites could not behold it. And so let's keep reading on. Verse nine, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And so what do we learn from this? We learn that the ministry of grace brings increasing glory. Paul describes here this ministry of the law. He describes it as the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. So, so what What have we talked about these past few months as we've learned about the ministry of the law that Paul keeps comparing to? He keeps referencing back. He keeps trying to persuade the Galatian church to understand this. It's that the glory of the ministry of the law, the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation, was that it could not justify the sinner. It could not give the sinner righteousness, could not give the Holy Spirit, it could not give an inheritance, it could not give life, and it could not give freedom. And so the glory of the law really is just a glory of the ministry of death that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 3. And so we have the law, our our timeline here, we have this law, and it shows us a measure. It shows us this measure that we could not reach. And then because we couldn't reach it, we're condemned. We we aren't able to, we, we, we don't meet it. We're condemned by this. And what does condemnation do to us? It separates us from God and leads to death. And so we're left with this problem. And we talked about a quote a few weeks ago, and I just wanna add a little bit to it from um, Warren Wearsby that says, the law produces condemnation and is a mirror that reflects how dirty our faces are, but we cannot wash our faces with a mirror. 
So we have this issue. The law produced condemnation, shows us how dirty we are. What's the solution? Because we can't wash our faces with a mirror. Well, the law shows us our need. Man's greatest need is righteousness. We need something to clean with. Our greatest need is righteousness. And praise God, because God's greatest gift is righteousness through Jesus Christ. And so we have this ministry of grace that Paul's referencing here, and it brings us out from the veil and into the open. And Paul explains this best a few verses down in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 through 18. Let's read. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. So under the law, we have Moses is able to meet with the Lord. He's the only person there that's meeting with the Lord, his face shown with glory. Then we move into a time in the Old Testament where we have the temple ministry and where the high priest is able to meet in the Holy of Holies with God once a year. But now under this new grace that we hear Paul talk about here, the veil is removed and we get to have communion with God, which is incredible. And so we learn from this that the old covenant measure of the law was obedience. And so it's this obedience. They, the, the Israelites are reminded they need to obey. But we learn that obedience cannot change the heart. In kids ministry, we're walking through a three-year cycle through the Bible and we just flipped the page on Old Testament into the New Testament. And all throughout the Old Testament, we learned and the kids learned about this thing called the cycle of sin that the Israelites so perfectly demonstrate for us. God does something incredible and miraculous and the Israelites are on track. They're following, they're obeying. Sometimes it's a week, sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's a minute later, they forget everything and they fall back into the cycle of sin. And then God and his great mercy sends someone to remind them and bring them back. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again, until the Old Testament. Um, and so our kids have been learning about the cycle of sin, and they learn about how that's a cycle of sin that also we find ourselves in today. We find ourselves forgetting these things that God reminds us. And so we, we've learned that obedience cannot change the heart, because the Israelites are just a, a good example of that. And with this new covenant, this ministry of grace that Paul's talking about, we learned that the new covenant measure is likeness to Christ. So Paul speaks of this freedom that we have, this freedom that we have that the Spirit helps us. And so this freedom is when we have a relationship with the Lord, it leads us into a relationship with the Word that transforms us into His image. Like the passage said, from glory to glory. We are transformed by his word into this freedom. What are we free from? Well, the obvious answer there is we're free from slavery to sin. But as Paul has been explaining throughout Galatians, we are also free from legalism. We're free from the weight of do this, do that. Here's all these rules. You have to meet them. You have to exceed them. You have to do this. But we're also free from lawlessness. 
which is something that our world is so entranced with today. Follow your heart. Do your thing. Follow what you want to do. What you want to do is what you should be doing. Trust your gut. Trust your heart. Which, when you think about it, it's a whole lot of pressure for us. It doesn't really seem like freedom when it's all up to you and all these things that you can't do. So you're free from that. This is what we're talking about our freedom from. We're free from slavery of sin. We're free from the law. And we're free from this lawlessness. And so... We've revisited when the law was given. We've compared the Old Covenant with the New Testament, or with the New Covenant, um, and we've talked about this freedom and where we find our, this is where we find ourselves in Galatians 5, is Paul teaching on freedom. And so Paul is in this fight. He's in this challenge with the Galatian church because he knows how important and how crucial this freedom is for their relationship with the Lord. And just as it was true for the Galatian church, it is equally true for us. This freedom is important to our relationship with God. But Paul also understood the flesh and how hard this freedom was to fight for and how hard it was to understand what this freedom was. And what does it look like? Well, Paul explains it here in our Galatians 5 passage. So we're gonna go back to our Galatians 5 passage and we're gonna walk through it well, verse by verse. So Galatians 5, chapter 13, chapter, Galatians 5, verse 13 says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. We're gonna hit pause there. We're gonna take a moment. We're gonna think about, have you ever stopped to think about we as people just aren't super prone to, or that we are prone to extremes and we're not, our flesh doesn't have a natural bend towards balance and moderation. We, we, we go to one extreme to the next. And I'll give you an example in my personal life. Um, last year, I decided that I was gonna start running in January. I was, gonna, I was gonna do it for my physical health. I was gonna do it for, you know, it's good for mental health. They say all these good things about it. Like running is just good for you. Um, and, you know, I'm not a runner. I never run any, or anything like that. And so I signed up for like a Peloton course so that I could hear people in my ear running with me and all that kind of stuff. And so I just did that. It was very moderate, like very balanced. Um, and about a month into running, I had not, like this is running very lightly, 10 minutes of running a day, nothing extreme. Um, I had this thought. And I was like, man, it'd be kind of cool. Like I'd started following some people that run. And I was like, it'd be cool to run like a race, like a 5K or you know, maybe a 10K, like that's pretty far though, but I don't know. And at this point, like I had not run more than 30 minutes in a consecutive time at all. Uh, we are walking most of it. And so, I, you know, we just, keep, we just keep thinking about it and mulling it over in my head. And a few weeks later, this thing, this ad appears for um, this thing called Run Disney, if you're familiar with it. Um, they host different races throughout the year on Disney property in Orlando. And it was the Walt Disney World Marathon Weekend. And it was this really cool, like they had a cool theme. And I was reading about it. And there's a challenge called the Dopey Challenge. And I was reading about it, and I was like, oh, this looks so cool. It's, it's a 5K on a Thursday, a 10K on a Friday, a half marathon on Saturday, and a marathon on Sunday. 48.6 magical miles. <laughs> and you know, moderation, balance, we've thrown this out the window, and we have decided that, man, that would be such a cool goal. How, how cool would it be to say that I did that? To, 
at this point, again, not 30 minutes of running has happened yet. Has not taken place. But I was like, you know, I could. I have a year. I can plan for it and everything. And so I had a moment where I stopped. And I was talking to my friend. And I was like, man, you know, like, this is, this is a crazy goal. Like, we could do this. But I, I just don't know if it's possible. And did I choose balance and moderation? No, I didn't. I signed up for the race. I signed up for the challenge. I booked the hotel rooms, and I asked off for work. In the same day, this extreme, again, a person that has not run more than 30 minutes at a consecutive time has signed up for this crazy, insane race that is like all over it is plastered. This is not a race for beginners, and here we are. Um, but so that was kind of an extreme. Glory to the Lord. I was able to finish it, but... It was a year of like a lot of hard things because I was paying for my extreme price because I was like, oh man, I paid for it. It's six months away and I still haven't done the things that I need to do. This is, yeah. So there was a lot of sacrifice in it. But we have other examples of how we as people are prone to extremes. And so my favorite one is, I don't know if you've ever bought a bag of potato chips um, I generally try not to turn the bag around and look at the nutrition information on the back of a bag of potato chips because it does have like a warning label on it. I call it a warning label that tells you how many servings are in a bag of potato chips. Did you know that it's not one? <laughs> yes, there's actually like, I think it's like eight servings of potato chips in a whole bag of potato chips. And I just want you to know that I don't think I've ever not eaten at least half of a bag of potato chips. And so we have silly extremes like that where we take things and go a little crazy, but we also have more serious extremes that we may not consciously be aware of, like having to have the best house having to have the best vacations, comparing ourselves and trying to find out how we can spend the best out of our retirement years. How can I be the best athlete? How can I be the best parent? How can I be the best at these things? And we also follow it into following people. How can I follow this influencer, this person that I follow and watch and listen and read? Or how do I follow this political leader unto the point of not questioning anything. We have these extremes that we find ourselves in our lives. We're not always conscious of, but we can find ourselves trapped in these extremes. But how does this apply spiritually? Well, as believers, we tend to interpret this truth that Paul's talking about here, this call to freedom, as freedom as lawlessness, meaning that I can do whatever I want, or legalism, as protection of our freedom, where I can impose laws on everyone to keep in check. So freedom is lawlessness, we can do whatever we want. Or legalism as protection of our freedom, where we can impose laws on everyone to keep us in check. So Charles Swindle says about this truth, we weren't released like birds from a cage to flutter wherever we want nor were we freed from a dungeon to spend the rest of our days in a different jail with a few more amenities. This principle of moderation applies to this call of freedom that we see from Paul. We aren't called to be released like a, like a bird from a cage, to flutter wherever we want, but we're also not called to find ourselves in another jail with a few more amenities. Let's keep reading in Galatians 5, the second half of 13 and verse 14. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So with this call to freedom comes a warning. 
we should not abuse the freedom that we find ourselves in. Warren Wearsby says, Christian liberty is not a license to sin, but an opportunity to serve. And so we get this so twisted. We, have, we find ourselves in this freedom and, and we think, oh man, I can sin and God will forgive me. God will forgive me and he'll welcome me back with open arms so I can do whatever I want because he will always forgive me. And while it is true that God will forgive us, the truth is so much sweeter than that. The truth is that we find ourselves in this freedom so that we can use it as an opportunity to serve and follow Jesus. He gave us the perfect example about how to follow, how to live our lives, how to serve others, and how to give glory to God. And the beauty of the truth is that when we make mistakes, not if, but when we make mistakes, we can return to Jesus and he will greet us with open arms. He'll forgive us, he'll help us, and he will move us forward with him. Isn't that such a more beautiful truth than just getting to do whatever I want? That we don't have just somebody that's going to forgive us. We have a savior who is there to help us. It's a beautiful truth. And so Paul gives us this formula here, and I love this formula, okay? So it's freedom plus love equals serving others. Second half of that formula, the flip side, is freedom minus love equals slavery to sin. And so I think the best way for us to try, kind of think about how this applies is to think through the examples. So let's think about this first formula. Freedom plus love equals serving others. So for me personally, I think of our Bayshore Kids leaders. They are my first example that I'm gonna talk about. I think of, on Sunday mornings, I think of Bill and Kelly Royal, and I think of... Um, Bobby and Wendy Francis, who serve in our four-year-olds. They, they've served in preschool ministry longer than I've been alive. Not out of obligation, not because they have to, not because it's like, oh man, if I, I wanna get to heaven, I need to do this. They serve because they have a freedom from Christ that has led them to love and serve others, specifically preschoolers. During our midweek ministry, I think of people like Roger and Kay Barrett, I think of Lisa Corley, I think of Randy Johns, I think of Jim Phillips, these men and women that have served, even though programs have changed as they've served in ministry, they have not changed their faithfulness to serve. Again, not out of obligation, but out of this freedom that they've experienced from Christ that calls them and compels them to serve others in love. And serving kids in love, like it's easy days and hard days included. Outside of the kids' ministry world, I think of people in our church like Mary Wright. If you have the joy and the privilege to know her, you know that her life is marked by service. Service in benevolence ministry, service in missions, service in her life group to her ladies, service to um, the strangers down the street. I could create a list of the ways that she serves others, and it would be too long to read in service. Mary Wright is also a person who in the past few years has earned the right to take a break and to say, I could stop. But again, that would be a checkbox mentality to say that she has done her work to get to heaven. And that's not Mary Wright. She serves out of freedom, no matter the circumstance, to serve others in love. 
Now, in my personal life, I think about my grandmothers, both of which have gone on to be with Jesus um, in heaven, one recently and one a few years ago. Um, And I think about how they served others. Neither one of them had easy childhoods. They had a lot to overcome into their early marriages and into raising their young families, but both of which found a relationship with the Lord and began to serve. And something that marked me um, at both of their funerals was when we talked about them, we didn't talk about how funny they were. We mentioned it a few times. We didn't talk about a lot of the stories that just random adventures that they did. We talked about how they served others. The, The comments were, man, they served their families well. They served their kids well. They served their church families well. They served random strangers well. And again, not out of obligation. It wasn't a checkbox. It was they served because they had freedom in Christ that compelled them to serve others. Now, where does this command to you shall love your neighbor as yourself, the whole law being fulfilled, come from? It actually comes from Scripture. It comes from Paul. He's mentioned this before in Romans chapter 13 verses eight through 10 that says, owe no one anything except for love for each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. And so, we stopped and think about this formula, we also have to stop and think about the second half of the formula. This freedom minus love equals slavery to sin. And so Paul shows us what happens to those who embody the second formula in verse 15 of Galatians 5. Let's read. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is a stark warning here. This is something that we can infer that the Galatian church has found themselves in, that they have lost this love, they've lost this freedom that they've talked about. It's been tainted by these Judaizers to where Paul's describing them as biting and devouring one another and consuming one another. Now, this is, this is when we're thinking about the second formula, I, th- I think we could probably also spend some time thinking about examples of people caught in slavery to sin who have lost their love. And if you're anything like me, I bet your first example is a personal example. Times when you have been caught in this. And we learn from this example that people caught in legalism or lawlessness both exude selfishness and competition. When we think of ourselves, when we think about the slavery to sin, I think of times that I was selfish and chose a selfish and chose not to serve someone in love. I have freedom, I'm a Christian, I follow the Lord, but I chose to be selfish. Or times when I chose competition over service and love. I'm sure we can all think of different times and different examples where we embody that and may we be convicted by that today. But the truth here is that we must allow the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts so that competition and selfishness have no place. So 
what, what is our application from this? What, what are we learning from these three verses? We're called to freedom, use it to serve others, don't bite and devour one another, right? Fairly simple, but we have, there's a little bit more to this that I want, I want us to think about. The first application is for the unbeliever. So for the person in the room that does not have a relationship with Jesus, it's a great point. It's that you have an open invitation to experience the freedom that is found in Christ. Not the freedom of legalism. There's no freedom in that. Of all these rules that the world says religion is full of just rules and rules and rules and rules. It's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about what the world offers in terms of freedom, about following your heart and doing all of these things and living under this crushing weight of you having to be in control of everything. It's not freedom. I'm talking about true freedom that comes from following Christ, from having him help us. Now, this truth comes from this awesome principle of the gospel, that God rules, that he created the heavens and the earth, and he created everything in it, including me and you. But that people sinned, and we created a separation between us and God, the separation that we talk about in the Old Testament, the separation that we talk about, we sinned, and we have separated, and all have sinned. But praise God, because not only do we have a God that rules, we have a God that provides. And not only did he provide at the beginning, he had a plan at the beginning, he provided a little tiny child to come in named Jesus to save us from our sins. Jesus rose and he showed us how to live our faith. He showed us what a relationship with God looked like. He helped people understand what was coming And Jesus, that same Jesus, gives us the best gift. He gives us his life on the cross, which he died on the cross for our sins, undeserving of it. But because he loved us so much, he chose to die on the the cross. And we have an opportunity to respond. And so if that's you this morning, I want you to keep listening because the second application point will be for you too. So our second application point is for the believer. And it's fairly simple. Our our call to action here is to walk in freedom. There's a catch. We can't do it ourselves. What do I mean by that? Well, let's see here. We are in March, halfway through March. Um, How are the New Year's resolutions going? Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, so we, we think about, let's, let's take a moment and think about the New Year's resolutions that we have. We have New Year's resolutions to, to do all of these things. And what do we do them in? We do them in our power. We say, I want to do this. I want to do that. Here's what I want to do. Um, whether it's New Year's resolutions like running or whether it's New Year's resolutions like I'm gonna do this more or do that more. I'm not gonna do this or I am gonna do that. And we try and do it in our own power. And what happens is February comes around and you're like, oh man, we're going to cross that one off the list and pretend like I never wrote that one down. And then you get along and you're like, oh man, it's, it's May. Wow, I haven't looked at this piece of paper that I wrote these down on in a month and a half. Okay, we're going to keep moving on. And you get to the point, if you're anything like me, where you just, you forget New Year's resolutions, you just stop doing them because you're like, I'm just, it's just not going to work out. We're just going to survive. That's what we're doing. And so, 
New Year's resolutions are a good example, but we also have spiritual willpower that we can see in our lives where we say, I want to read God's word more. I want to pray more. I want to love others more. I want to, I want to, I want to, so I'm going to. I will, so I'm going to. And even things, I I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to miss church. I don't want to miss this group that I'm a part of. I don't want to miss life group. We have all these goals, and it's like, I want to, so I'm going to do it. And we miss a key part of the puzzle. It's that our power is nothing. We can have the willpower, we can try it, it's it's good to have a desire, but our willpower is never going to take us where we need to go. Willpower will never succeed on its own. And so, I have one of my favorite quotes here by Richard Foster, and in the blanks on your sermon outlines, if you're filling them out, I want you to write in the two blanks. I want you to bold it, I want you to highlight it, I want you to italicize, I want you to put exclamation points next to it because this truth is incredible. Richard Foster says, when we despair of gaining inner transformation through human powers of will and determination, we open to a new realization. Inner righteousness is a gift from God to be graciously received. The needed change within us is God's work, not our own. Amen? I'm gonna read it again. Inner righteousness is a gift from God to be graciously received. The needed change within us is God's work, not our own. And praise God for that truth. If our track record says anything with New Year's resolutions and different things that we want to do, it's that we need help. And the best news about the gospel is that Jesus is the one. God's work is going to be done in us. It's not up to our power. We open our lives to him and he does the work. But how does God do this work? Good news. Paul has been answering that question for us throughout our scripture that we've been talking about today. If you haven't caught it, we're going to review really quick. Woven throughout our, our text today is this understanding that the Holy Spirit is the one who changes us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 3.17 said, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.18 said, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is spirit. Galatians 5.16, the very first verse that we're gonna start with next week, starts off by Paul saying, walk by the spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. And we learn that we have been called to love, but when we talk about our fruit of the spirit, Say it with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So this this understanding, there's this understanding here that the Spirit is the one who is going to help us. Our Spirit is our helper. He's our comforter. He's our friend that helps us to walk in freedom. And our only chance is to walk by the Spirit. We have to understand the Holy Spirit does not work in a vacuum. We need to seek Listen and surrender to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. What does that look like? One of my favorite things to talk about with this is our spiritual disciplines. This is gonna be my practical, our practical note for today is our spiritual disciplines. Um, My favorite definition of spiritual disciplines is practices that help us keep company with Jesus. 
right? Practices that help us keep company with Jesus. So I would ask you, what, what are your spiritual disciplines and how do, they, how do you keep company with Jesus? So when, when I talk to kids about salvation and when I talk to them about what does it mean to follow Jesus and what is, what is your current relationship with Jesus look like, the best way that I do this is I pair it with this definition and I talk about who, who, what does it mean that Jesus is our friend? And I think there's three types of friendships that I talk through with kids. And the first one is that like, is Jesus kind of like the kid that just came to your school? You don't really know him, you know his name, you know he's new but you don't know anything about them. This is the child that's just showed up at the doors of the church. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know anything about Jesus. And that's a great place to be. Let's learn about him. The second place to be is this guy named Jesus is in your class. You know about him? You haven't played with him on the playground. You don't really talk to him when you get to school, but you know he's there. He's got friends in the class that you know about and you know you can watch him sometimes and see what he does. And so that's a child that's learning and growing in their relationship with the Lord. But the third one is the child that, whose friend is Jesus. It's the first face that they look for when they get to school. They're looking for their friend. It's the person that they have the conversations with at school. It's the person that they play on the playground with. It's the person that they do homework together. They hang out outside of school. They do all of these things. And all of those things are the spiritual disciplines that we talk about. Reading God's word, worshiping, praying, meditating on scripture, memorizing scripture, all of these different types of prayers that we learn about, all these ways that we engage with our relationship with the Lord, the things that make us stop and realize, where am I at in my relationship with the Lord? Is he just there? Is he a Sunday, Wednesday God? Or is he my friend? Is he who I spend time with? Is he the first face that I look up for in the morning? Is he the last conversation, with a, conversation that I have before I go to bed? And is he my friend throughout the day? Now, why I talk about spiritual disciplines here? Well, I have the privilege and the honor to, to co-lead a life group with our student minister, Alec, for young adults. And we've been walking through scripture together. And this year, kind of inspired by our kids ministry who is walking through spiritual disciplines during Wednesday nights, we decided to start looking at spiritual disciplines. So walking through scripture, and then at the end, we spend the last 10, 20 minutes talking. The first week, we learn a spiritual discipline. The second week, we connect over it. And so we learn, we've talked about worship. We've talked about Bible study. We've talked about humility. We've talked about meditation on scripture. We've covered accountability partners. Um, and we've covered a lot so far and we have these spiritual exercises where we go home and we practice them. Like, here's, here's some different ways to practice humility this week. Here are some different ways to practice confession, confession of sin. Here are some different ways to practice worship. Um, and then we come back the next week and we talk about, how did it go? Was this something that you want to do every day? Is this something that we should be doing every day? Is this something that you want to be doing once a week? Something like that. Did you enjoy engaging in your relationship with, this Lord, this, with the Lord in these different practices? Or was it hard? Are these areas that we need to work on? And what we found and what we're learning as we're walking through these is that these spiritual disciplines help create transformation in our lives. We find different ways to play on the playground with Jesus. We find different ways to eat lunch and to hang out and spend time with Jesus. And we learn that our disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. So I'd ask you today, 
how are you keeping company with Jesus? Why do I talk about this with freedom? It's, it's because freedom is something that we can't do on our own power. We're about to close by singing one of my favorite hymns, I Need Thee Every Hour. And one of the verses in it says, I need thee every hour, stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou are nigh. I need thee, oh, I need thee, every hour I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Why do we talk about keeping company with Jesus and freedom? this freedom that we can't do on our own power. It's because it's easy to sing this song, I need thee every hour, when you are in the valley, when life has handed you so much that you need Jesus because you don't know how you're gonna take your next step. And it's easy to need Jesus and to need thee every hour when you're on the mountaintop and you say, oh, yep, I need Jesus, I'm here, I'm good. But what about this in-between? This song is not just made. This truth, I need thee every hour, is not just made for the valleys and the mountains. This need, I need thee every hour, is made for your every waking moment. When you wake up in the morning, I need thee every hour. When you get to work, I need to serve others. I, I can't do it on my own. I need thee every hour every part of our day, going home to our families, meeting people, doing what we have been called to do to share God with everyone. I need thee every hour. I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. So my, my hope and prayer is that as we pray and as we sing this song, that you would reflect and be convicted on this truth, that we need him every hour. If we want to experience this freedom, if we want to serve others and love and we want to find ourselves in the first formula of being able to serve others and not being a slave to sin. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much um, for today. We thank you for this message, this word that you have given us about freedom. Lord, I just pray that for the unbeliever in here, God, I pray that this would have been the first realization of how we need you. I pray that if this is their first time, that you would surround them and that you would make this a monumental moment of need. God, for the believers in the room, Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts and that you would convict us in this moment of times when we have chosen selfishness and competition and have chosen not to need you and not to realize and see our need. Challenge us to keep company with you and to be aware of our need every waking moment and to be grateful for the freedom that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.